For the weeks that I have been preaching this summer, we have touched on a variety of passages from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. We have read from the narratives of Genesis, from the decrees of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai or Horeb as it is recorded in Deuteronomy, and we have read proclamations of the prophets Amos and Hosea. Today, our scripture comes from two sources. Another prophet, Isaiah, one of the major prophets and perhaps the most familiar to Christian congregations, and the book of Psalms, part of the genre of poetic writings. In many ways, the passages for today bring together many of the broader themes of the Hebrew Bible, and indeed our scripture overall. From the prophet Isaiah in the first chapter, the very beginning of Isaiah's prolific prophetic ministry and writings, we have this presentation of God's work through the prophet's mouth. The text says, The vision of Isaiah, son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There are a number of things here in this reading that are notable about the character of God. We have similar complaints here from God to the people to those present in the book of Amos, our focus scripture from a couple of weeks ago. God condemns the worship and sacrifice of the people as abhorrent and unnecessary in the context of the hypocrisy of their actual lives outside the temple. God asks, what to me is your sacrifice? Who asked this of you? Of course, 
it was God that asked this. And yet, the problem is that the people have kept the ritual aspects of what God instructed them to do without keeping the instructions for their daily living, their interactions with other people. In particular, the call to enacting justice in the world. The prophet goes on to spell out the way the people will cease to do evil and instead learn to do good. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. As is the case consistently across the scriptures, and I have tried my best to show over the last couple of weeks, God's primary concern for the people is not their individual moral conduct or their adherence to divinely ordained rules, but their commitment to the cause of divine justice. God's promise that willingness and obedience will be rewarded does not refer, as we might expect or imagine, to the rules of sacrifice and worship, but to the work of justice in the world. It cannot be overemphasized how central justice is to the Hebrew Bible and the foundation of both the Jewish and Christian faiths. The whole tradition of prophets that makes up such a large section of the Hebrew Bible. These prophets sent to humanity to correct the error of their ways and bring them back into communion with their God. It's all focused around the injustice of how the people are living. If one is to live by the tenets set out in the Bible, one must be concerned with justice. And not just helping those most vulnerable on a one-to-one -one basis, as we often think about. Many of Jesus' parables in the New Testament are remembered and taught as instructing kindness on the individual level. We ought to be good Samaritans, helping those we see in need. We ought to care for the least of these who we meet visiting the imprisoned, clothing the ones in need, welcoming the stranger. Because as we do for them, we also do for Jesus. But this is not the full work of justice. Isaiah does not instruct the people simply to do good when the opportunity arises in front of them. The instructions are to seek justice, an active task. Rescue the oppressed, not just help them in the moment, but change their situations. Create lasting reform that brings people out of oppression. Defend the orphan, plead for the widow. To whom are we defending and pleading? Certainly not the orphan or the widow themselves. This is not just a call to help those in need, but to confront systems of injustice to plead our case to those who have the power to change things on behalf of those in need. It is not enough to have our faith lead us to charity work, although that is important too. We must want grander, deeper change, more lasting justice. In this text, we can also see parallels with our scripture from Genesis, for those of you who heard it a couple of weeks ago featuring the narrative of Abraham arguing with God, bargaining for a lighter sentence of judgment for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here in Isaiah, God invites direct engagement with the people, saying, come now, let us argue it out. Other translations read, come let us settle the matter, come let us reason. 
God's inviting us to argue. God invites not only engagement, but active participation on equal footing, equal partners in a conversation. We are called to be co-workers, debate partners, brainstormers, and movement leaders alongside the work of the most holy God. And this work sometimes involves conflict. Sometimes we're called to argue. Far too often we portray the people of God, including Jesus himself, as the epitome of peace and kindness. I do fully believe that in his relationships with individuals, Jesus must have been kind. And it is clear that he is against violence, especially state-sanctioned violence. But that does not mean that God's primary goal is to keep peace. In fact, the opposite is often true. Jesus said in the Gospels, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. The work of justice is painful and divisive. It upsets the status quo. It requires sacrifice. It often requires destruction before new creation can begin. I would guess that at some point, many of you have heard people speak of their distaste for the Old Testament, describing the God of the Hebrew Bible as mean and angry and cruel. I would argue that overwhelmingly the God of the Hebrew Bible is instead a God of love and intimate relationship. But it is true that that God is often angry. To critique this anger as unbefitting of a loving God overlooks the truth that anger can be productive, necessary, and righteous. God's anger is almost always directed at injustice. How could God not be angry when there is inequality, poverty, oppression, and violence in the world, this world that God created in God's image? Would you want to love and serve a God who is not angry when looking upon a world filled with evil? Our other scripture from today comes from Psalm 50, verses 1 through 8 and 22 to 23. Listen to the power of God extolled in these verses. The psalmist writes, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Salah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Mark this then, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart, and there will be no one to deliver. Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. 
To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. God is love, yes, but God is also justice. God calls to those who are in covenant with God that they might gather with God for the work to which they are bound. God calls to us, joined in loving covenant with each other and with God, to refuse to keep silence, to respond to the devouring fire that is clamoring for justice to be done, to imagine and trust in the perfect beauty of God's creation as it ought to be, not as it is, to not forget God, but to come in thanksgiving for the power of God to make all things new. May it be so. Amen.